0: Hi,
1: I'm Amanda Morin. I'm the director of thought leadership for understood.org and a parent to kids who learn differently. I'm Gretchen Wierstra, a former classroom teacher and an editor here at Understood. And this is In It. In It is a podcast from the Understood Podcast Network where we talk to
0: parents, teachers, experts, and sometimes kids who share stories, perspective, and advice
1: for people who learn and think differently. And today we've got a very special guest. Someone who's shown us what an impact it can make when we represent and celebrate those differences in a big way. Fans of the Great British Baking Show, or Bake Off as it's called in the UK, will no doubt recognize those notes as the opening theme music from the immensely popular Netflix program. And in the latest season, which
0: dropped this past September, viewers fell in love with 28-year-old Lizzie Acker, who, when she's not baking, works at a car
1: factory in Liverpool. Lizzie showed up with flaming orange hair, fabulous colorful tops, and an unflappable demeanor. But what really won us over was the extraordinary cake she pulled off in the quarterfinals. Here she is telling the judges, Paul Hollywood and Prue Leith, what she plans to make.
2: I'm celebrating like being different. It's going to be a representation of my brain because they uh, have got quite a few SEN issues. SEN is special educational needs, dyslexic, dyspraxic, ADHD, and concentration disorder. So I think, like, people who are slightly different need to be celebrated and, like, represented.
0: That's right. It was a cake celebrating what she calls her SEN, or special education needs,
1: ADHD, dyslexia, and dyspraxia, which we'll get into a little bit later. The finished product was incredible. Lizzie made a multi-tiered cake covered in rainbow-colored shag rug textured frosting to represent what she called her brain fuzz. The judges were blown away.
2: This is a my celebration of being different. And I mean, that is just amazing. And the rice paper offshoots are just so beautifully done. And look at the tiny little letters and numbers.
0: I love it. It reminds me of something from um, the cartoon, The Yellow Submarine.
2: I've never seen a
1: cake anything like it. I don't think any of us have ever seen a cake like it. To
0: appreciate how impressive it was to see Lizzie and her cake there in the quarterfinals, we're going to do a very
1: brief tutorial on how this show works, just in case you're not familiar. So each season, 12 amateur bakers gather in the British countryside in a big tent, fully equipped with baking stations.
0: And every week there's a theme, like bread or biscuits or Gretchen, what you and I call cookies, and the contestants are judged on the basis of three bakes. Round one is what's called the signature bake, where they bring their own style to a classic recipe, and they can practice this one in
1: advance. Round two is the technical challenge, where the bakers are presented with a recipe they've never seen before, often for a bake they've never tasted, and they have to tackle it on the spot. Oof, that's a lot of pressure. And last but not least is the Showstopper, an elaborate bake that must be delicious and visually stunning. Now keep in mind, while they're baking in the tent, you've got the judges circling like hawks watching their every move. And you've got the two co-hosts, Matt and Noel, sidling up to them, distracting them with chit-chat and terrible puns. And then there's the competition. All the other bakers running around,
0: chopping, whisking, mixing, cheering each other on, but also trying not to be the one to get sent home that week. You'll hear Lizzie talk about some of those bakers, like Chiggs, Giuseppe, Freya.
1: We wanted to know what this whole experience is like, and especially what it's like for someone like Lizzie, whose brain, as she says, works differently from other people's.
0: We also wanted to know what it meant to Lizzie to share her thinking differences, not only with the folks in the tent, but
1: everyone out there watching. We loved every minute of our conversation with Lizzie, even when we couldn't quite follow everything she was saying, which happens sometimes because we didn't grow up in Liverpool. If you're having trouble following along, don't worry. We've got a full transcript of the conversation on our website at u.org slash in it. Of course, we had to start with, oh, my gosh, you are on the Great British
2: Baking Show.
0: We are so excited. Yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> It is so exciting. It's like, it was an amazing thing to be a part of. It's just like one of them weird things that you never think you're going to be able to do. And then suddenly you're on it and you're like, what What happened to you? <laughs> was it stressful being on a show like that or was it just fun? Um, probably the prep was stressful thinking about leaving home for so long. And then I like uh, hyper-focused on outfits when I should have been like making recipes. And then suddenly I'm just like, (laughs) what am I going to wear for like week six if I get there? And everyone else would be like, "Like, have you done these recipes yet? And I'd be like, no, but I've bought like 10 outfits. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Your clothes are amazing. Um, My question for you as someone who loves to cook and bake, um, what's it like to be able to use all of their amazing equipment and just have that that space and that time to be able to cook like that
2: well it's not really time because them time limits are absolutely ridiculous that's true um, it's it's probably more stress because as a baker you get used to the equipment you have don't you oh. and you kind True. of know everything yeah. and then suddenly there's different scales and they had dead fancy scales and had, like, micro scales on the sides. And it's the first time I've ever, like, weighed out salt and stuff and I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm really putting, like, two grams of salt in this cake. Oh.
0: <laughs> okay, one last question before we get into sort of, like, a little more detail is who ends up eating all that practice food?
2: Oh, the crew. There's such a big crew there. <laughs> the other bakers, uh, It's fantastic you get to eat everyone's bakes and you know like I've watched every season of bake off and you sit there and you think like oh wonder what that tastes like does it actually taste like that and then suddenly you're there and you can taste everyone's food and you're like oh yeah this is great this is fantastic I'm going to be able to sit at home then be like that to my family I bet that I bet that Um, (laughs) it was it was great it was like a dream come true to be honest
1: well we're going to pivot now to talk about the reason why you're here It's that you blew the judges away and the viewers away in episode eight with your extraordinary cake. That was the showstopper round, right? Yeah, yeah. So we'd love you to start by just telling us what was the challenge for that round and how how did you decide to bake what you did and tell us about
2: that. Um, So the challenge for that round was a gluten-free celebration cake. So I learned about gluten-free at that point because no one in my, like, current circle in life is gluten-free so I was a bit like what what does it even mean what is gluten um and then I was thinking like this is obviously different to what we classify as like a normal diet and then I started going off into like how am I different and I'm obviously different because I suffer from all these FCN issues and then I was like it should be a celebration of how everyone's different so with my SEN issues, I get complete brain fuss sometimes and, like, zone out. Um, so I was like, oh, I'll do fuzzy piping. And then I was like, I really struggle with dyslexia with letters. So I came up with the idea of the brush-off with the letters and the numbers and everything, and then put gold around just, like, brain base and stuff. So it adapted and adapted, and then on the day when it came out like that, no-one had seen it like that, and everyone was a bit taken back and there was one point Chigso was like stood there like I really want to give you a hug and I was like don't because I'm gonna cry and I've never been that proud Uh of myself and Giuseppe was stood there like nearly crying like and I was like oh my god like I've actually really done something good like for these people that bake so amazing to be that proud of me like it had to be like then you go off for your interview and I was like stood there in my interview like don't make me cry
0: (laughs) so Speaking of crying, can I play something for you? Because I watched this with my, my family, and my 11-year-old wanted you to hear this. Can I play for you?
2: Hi, Lizzie. I just watched the episode with your celebration cake. I'm Benjamin. I'm 11, and I have ADHD and autism. I just sat bolt upright when you said brain fuzz because I'm like, oh, my God, I can relate to this. And it really, it meant a lot to me because it felt like you are representing me in a way, too. Oh, do not you got me crying again? Oh.
0: I didn't mean to make you cry. I just wanted you to know what an impact you actually made.
2: Oh, no, like, I, th- I think it's, like, lovely. Like, it's, it's really lovely, but it's really sad that, like, people just don't feel, see. Oh, guys, what have you done to me? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so...
0: Let's reframe that as like a celebration, yes. right? We're going yep. back to the yep. celebration thing. I was watching him watch, and the joy on his face when he recognized things, it was really powerful. I also want to know a little bit more about what you call your brain fuzzies. If I'm correct, you you have ADHD, dyslexia, and dyspraxia. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember when you first noticed what you're calling brain fuzzies?
2: Um, so... It's probably primary school. I didn't really notice anything. I just knew it was, like, different. And then I'd started going to an SEN school. that was, like, a major, like, major, major thing in my life that, like, really helped me. Because um, the woman at the SEN school, Michelle, I started seeing her when I was seven. And um, seeing her all the way until I was 21 and still in uni. And she helped me, like, come up with all these terms and ways to recognise things and there was a school full of other kids that was the same as me. So, like, it was so much better for my confidence. I went to, I did go to mainstream school, and then out of school hours, I'd go to extra support school. So, it was in the extra support school where I came up with all this confidence and then all these terms like brain force and stuff like that. Because although brain falls could sound like it's a bad thing, sometimes it's great because sometimes brain force is what you need to, like, zone out a bit when you need to like when you're really overstimulated and your brain just starts and then it's it's kind of like a protection thing as well did you ever
1: describe this to your family and your or teachers and did they understand it or did you feel
2: understood by them when it came to this in prime school one teacher told me everyone's got light bulbs in the head but yours just don't work <laughs> um so that wasn't the best supportive place and then in one of my secondary schools they had a really good SEN unit. SEN that was quite supportive, and then I went to a different sixth form, which had just become a public school from a private school. So that was really interesting because they didn't really recognise students with SEN issues because they were private. So when they'd gone to like a public school, they had to have an SEN unit. So it was one room at the like the highest building because it was like an old house turned into a school, and it was like it was like being like the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and I oh. had to like oh, my God, these are, like, actually embarrassed that I'm at their school.
0: In the United States, it used to be the basement, so I I hear what you're saying. Yeah,
2: like, hidden away. Like, the world's been changed by people with neurodiversity, and it's neurodiversity that creates all these massive impacts and change that positively affect our society. So we are not the people that should be shunned into corners or basements or top rooms or houses. Like, we are the people that should be celebrated and invested in time-wise because the difference in at the end of the day is going to come from us.
0: Yes. I mean, look at all of us right now, right? you're changing the world one amazing f- tasting dish at a time, yes. right?
1: <laughs> We're changing the world by talking to people like you. Back to the brain fuzzies for one more sec. Were you able to explain this to your family and friends and how did they react to this and support you?
2: So my family, my mom's got dyslexia and my little sister has two. So they get a lot of it. And my friends are really uber supportive, like a um, obviously my close friends I like bond with like I'm one of the people that attaches themselves to people so once I've attached myself like they are the most supportive people like uh, my friends in uni used to sit up to like four o'clock to read essays that I'd written with like one full stop in like 5,000 words
1: wow
2: um and they go through and correct it all for me but also it's really strange because so my mum's got it I've got it and my sister's got it i'm really open with it but my little sister uh, hates telling people and uh, she actually went to uni of copenhagen um, to do graphics and code and because she wouldn't tell any of the tutors or anything that she was dyslexic because she was really ashamed of it Um, she struggled really bad and then had to drop out after three months
0: and does she talk about it now?
2: No, not really. She's a tattoo artist now and it's just part of like, life that she's kind of forgotten. about because she doesn't it doesn't affect her because she doesn't do anything academic.
0: Does she know that you talk about her?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to use you as like the bad example. Oh god. <laughs> it's tough love. It's like learn to accept yourself. I
0: want to I want to circle back to something about the big show because there was something that really struck me. At one point, Prue, one of the judges, she said, but Lizzie is also determined to not be neat and I want to strangle her because she's a good baker. She's great. And my whole family had this, like, oh, that's so familiar reaction because it's the kind of thing, you know, kids hear a lot, this, if you just tried harder, you could get this. Had you heard that kind of try harder message when you were growing up?
2: Yeah, yeah, completely. So I think, like, bad time, I got to the tents and stuff like that was being said. So I was like, do you not think I'm trying me hardest, like... Let's get a grip and move on. But I think for people without neurodiversity, stuff like that just goes over the head. And then for people with neurodiversity that are trying and trying and trying the hardest all the time and constantly getting told to try harder, it's like a trigger for everyone because everyone's heard it at some point. And I just don't think people, they just don't see it. Like they, they, when I explained the cake and then Paul Paul was like, make sure it's neat or something. And I was like, "Mate, I'm going to poke your eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> You can't, you can't like stop and be like, Paul. That was a quite a triggering for me because that's what people have said throughout my life.
0: So, Lizzie, ADHD and dyslexia are pretty familiar to our listeners, but I don't know if dyspraxia is because in the U.S. we often hear it referred to as developmental coordination disorder. It includes difficulty with movement and coordination and getting those skills organized. But I wondered, especially when you said the neat finishes were hard, if dyspraxia plays a role for you in that. Can you talk about what dyspraxia looks like for you?
2: Yeah, so um, it's coordination a lot as well. Like, I've got no coordination. So, you know, when you go to a Zumba class and everyone's going one way, I'm always the person going the other way because I'm, like, don't know left and right. Um, struggle with hands and feet moving at the same time. I walk into things and spatial awareness, massive. Um, so my mum's got this stupid clock on our kitchen wall and like I constantly walk into it and like it's coming off the wall because I just it's right by the door and I just I can't manoeuvre myself around it it's just it's like she's put it there to try and kill me and wire me up on a daily basis (laughs) could be your little sister
0: who did that right right. (laughs) I (laughs) mean That spatial awareness thing is such a good description. I really appreciate you describing that.
2: (laughs) I can't even catch a ball. If someone throws a ball at me, I'm like, (laughs) ah. Can we turn to baking again for a minute? Oh, you're not going to bring up cups, are you? No, I won't bring up cups. Because I cannot (laughs) deal with cups. (laughs) I
1: know, exactly right. But I do want to ask you um, kind of your origin story for baking. So when did you start baking? And what did you like about it when you started?
2: Um, so I started bacon when I was younger, probably in primary school, um, basically because my mum is awful at bacon and I just wanted sweet stuff. So I got a huge family cookbook and started making like pancakes from that. Um, I think it's probably ADHD wise that picks and swaps hobbies constantly. So I think cooking was in for a while and then started skateboarding and <laughs> stuff like that. But then I'd go back to cooking and my mum would buy me cake pans. And then the next week I'd be, like, on keyboard lessons. Mm
0: -hmm. And then
2: I'd go back to cooking and she was, like, we're not throwing away the cooking stuff because it's expensive. So I'd hit a real big phase of cooking when I was, like, 17. And everyone had the 18th birthday parties. So I made everyone's 18th birthday cake. And even, like, I made the prom cake with, like, 500 forget-me-nots on. It was, like, a wedding cake, um... And then went to uni and completely forgot about it and was like, yeah, whatever. So I'm just a hardcore uni now that just drinks. <laughs> um, and then came back from uni. And um, then when lockdown hit, there was nothing else to do but mm, be. Because yep. there's like six of us in the house, so I was making bread and cakes and we were all just getting fat and happy together. And we had the paddling pool and we were just sat in the paddling pool eating cupcakes and drinking that sounds amazing
1: <laughs> okay so you're doing a lot of baking during lockdown how did you go from there
2: to ending up as a contestant
1: on the great british baking show
2: yeah so what happened is every season me my friends and my friends families all have a bet so we watch the first episode and you've got to pick from the first episode who's gonna win and then halfway through the season i've got a friend who's in there on this bet and he's a pastry chef and he, like the at the end of the episodes it normally says you know like apply for next year and he was like you should apply like the stuff you're being thrown out like it's really good like definitely apply he was like you're dead creative you'll be able to do and i'm like oh stop trying to like hype me up or make me head big um And he was like, no, no, you're really good. And I was thinking, yeah, whatever." So I'd kind of filled in the application, but not really put much force into it because I was like, I'm not going to send it. And then the day before the application's closed, he texts me and he was like, have you applied? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And he was like, no, no, have have you actually applied? Because if you don't apply, I am applying for you. And I was like, oh, I'll send it. So I never actually got anyone to check the application form, which is massive for me because... If I send, like, an email or anything, I normally get someone to check it and make sure, like, the spelling's all right and stuff. And I just sent it, and then suddenly when they rang me up and were like, oh, yeah. Like, it's a whole big, like, round of auditions. They were like, oh, you're through to the next round. I was just like, oh, my God, like, how's this happened? And, like, I felt, like, even more proud because I'd done it by myself. i got no one to check. It was no one else's yeah. words. It was all me. And suddenly they, they were like, you are good enough. Even as you are, you, you're good enough to be on the show. And then from there on, I just kind of kept on going. And then suddenly they ran me and they were like, oh, you're on this year's show. And I was just like, oh,
1: my God,
2: what has gone on?
1: <laughs> oh, that's an amazing story.
0: Had you shared with the Bake Off producers ahead of time <laughs> that you had SEN needs and learning differences?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I told them because they They ask you whether you're worried about anything going into the tent. And um, my main concern was the technical challenge and not being able to read the words. So they'd set up that, you know, if I couldn't read anything, one of the producers would read it for me. Okay. So they will make acceptance and help you out put into place if you need it. I have trouble
0: following recipes and I was thinking, what is it like if you have trouble reading anyway and you're under time pressure?
2: Yeah, I think there was one week, I think it was uh, the Jammy Dodgers, uh, the recipe said fluted or fluttered, and I still can't even remember or get it right. And I'd said that, I don't know whether this is fluted or fluttered, and there was tweets about it, like, how can you be on the groupish bake-off, you don't even know it's a flutter cutter. Oh my goodness,
1: that must be so hard to watch it, and have these things running through your head, and, and have people react,
2: and ugh, oh, just... To keep it together. Loads of people like were reacting like, when I was told Matt watched to watch Harry Potter instead of practicing. <laughs> Lizzie, I love cooking and watching
1: TV, but I don't have tons of time, so I didn't watch every episode. <laughs> Confession. So
2: what is the Harry Potter thing? Um, so on Biscuit Week, um, Matt came up to me and said, did you do much practice for this? And I turned around and said, no, I watched Harry Potter all day. And everyone was like, what? Spent a day watching Harry Potter instead of bacon. That was mainly because the pressure is so immense that like Harry Potter is like my comfort blanket. Cause it was what was coming out when I was a kid. So like it just like relaxes me. Yeah. And I was so overstimulated at this point that I just needed like to just zone out to yeah. something that I know. And that's what that was. And people were coming for me on Twitter like if. You don't care about Bake Off. Why apply? Why would you waste a day watching Harry Potter? And I was just like, oh, whatever. These people, like, they just don't... They genuinely have no thought of, like, the pressure that's gone into it or anything. They just... They jump on anything one of the things that struck me as I was watching the baking is how complex the
0: things are, right? You have to time things. You have to keep track of all the steps. This has to go in the oven. This thing is melting. This thing has to cool. You have to get all those steps. How did you keep track of all of that? I mean, I can't keep track of that and I don't have ADHD.
2: So it was, it was really quite funny because I was thinking I was going to be like the one in the tent that was like, you know, like a squirrel on crack constantly. Like, and then Put me next to George or Chicks, who was actually like that, and I'd just be stood there like a sloth <laughs> because I'd have so much going through my head that I could only focus on one thing at a time. So I'd stand there just making jam for fifteen minutes, and everyone'd be like, "Why is she not moving? Why is she not doing anything?" Can I just be like <laughs> watching everyone else? <laughs> And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd best go off and do something. So I just, I literally done one thing at a time. Whereas everyone else was jumping around like loons, doing everything at once. Because I'd practice like that. So week one, that's when I had like the the runny mini rolls. Because I'd accounted for all my, like, oh, I'm just going to do this at this point in time. But I never accounted for adding them like half an hour in that Matt and Noel are going to stand there and talk to you so that yeah. affected me so much. That's why my caramel was too hot and it all ran out. And I was thinking, yes, yeah, because the bloody came and distracted me for 25 minutes. I've accounted for my own ADHD time, but not for your chatting time. That is so
1: true. The- <laughs> I want to ask you something else related to the skills you need for the show. So um I love baking too, but... I like to bake things that taste good, not necessarily look great, you know, like cookies and muffins and breads and things like that. And so if I were on that show, I would definitely get shot down from my lack of finesse. <laughs> and so I know that's something that the judges gave you a hard time about. Did
2: you feel like it's something you learned or got better at during the show? I probably got better towards the end because you do refine your skill set constantly while you're on the show. But it's something, like, I am more focused on the way things taste and the quantity of it. Because I work in a car factory, so I make a lot of tree bakes. They don't have to look good, they just have to taste good. And I'm out there to feed as many of my co-workers as possible. Like, let's just make a big slab of cake and take that in because the lad's going to eat it. They're not going to look at it for 10 minutes. They're literally going to be like, oh, nice one cake, cut it and eat it. Why am I going to spend an hour of my life making it look good?
0: I I love this attitude. I mean, like, sincerely, I love the, just the confidence and you're just this, this ability to just say you are who you are. And I wonder about that in terms of what made you decide to go public with these learning and thinking differences, your SEN needs during the semifinals? And what kind of response did you get?
2: Um, So I I never thought about it i would seen some people on Twitter saying, like, oh, oh," she said, you know, to, like, try and stay in the show and stuff. But I, I never thought about it as in, like, oh, I'll use it, like, that week to get me to the court semifinals or whatever, I was just like. Right. But I've never seen my SEN issues as anything, so I don't consider them, like, a private thing. I'm happy to talk about them to anyone. But it's not bad. It's, I, I just learn slightly different from what you call a normal person. So I don't see it as something to, like, ever be like I'm not going to bring that up or it just comes out naturally because I'm so used to it and I think that probably is because I was diagnosed so young that I'm just like yeah I'm like this because I've got that
0: that's fantastic I will tell you that everybody had understood was like oh my gosh did you hear about this did you see this cake did you hear Lizzie talk about having ADHD and dyslexia and it was just a it was a big deal in in our community so I just want you to know that to you it's just who you are and to us we're always trying to make sure that people feel comfortable just being who they are so it was a big deal it was great
2: yeah I think I never realized the impact until like afterwards like the amount of messages that I got was like overwhelming like it took me a week to answer them all and I'd sit there like crying like every message like because they are so personal like I just found them like really beautiful I had a school the other day in England in Kent and the teacher printed out cakes, and then got all the kids to draw what their brains would look like on these cakes, Ugh. and then asked them if they wanted to write a message as well, and then the teacher sent them to me, so I've got like hundreds kids' brains on paper, and the messages are like absolutely lovely, and the fact that like they can relate to me, and now they feel like someone's like them, and the amount of messages that That were on them that were like, "Um, I think I can do this now or I think I'll be able to do that. And I'm thinking like, why did you think you couldn't do it in the start? You can do anything. Like, who's telling these kids that they can't do stuff because are they crazy? Why are we doing that to them? Like, why are we capping these kids' potential?
1: I, I was listening to another interview that you did, and I forget where, because I was just kind of going down the Lizzie rabbit hole of information and watching videos, listening to things. And you had mentioned that you were thinking about doing a cookbook for kids with learning differences.
2: So I would love to do a cookbook. Um, I wanted to it to, towards the neurodiverse community. Obviously, if you're not neurodiverse and you want buy a bad book, buy it. it's just going to be a fun book. But I don't want any plain white pages you know, so people can read off color backgrounds because it's easier. I want loads of century stuff in there. But I keep getting told by publishing companies that it's too niche. And I'm like, niche? One in seven people suffers from neurodiversity. Or well, not suffers, but has neurodiversity. So tell me how that's niche.
0: You know, as an author, I've I've written five books now. And Every time I I feel that struggle of like talking through the, well, this is too niche. This is too, but I think you should keep going. It's such a great idea. I like the idea of, you know, having the sensory components, the visuals the you know, it just makes so much sense.
1: Yeah, I heard you mention, and if you would explain this, I would love it. um, Having people be able
2: to like preview smells with like a scratch and sniff thing. Can you explain that? So um, obviously I've been around a lot of kids with autism who have a lot of issues with food, especially, like, smell and texture. So, a lot of it is getting used to something. So, if you could smell what cinnamon smelt like before you baked with it, and got used to that smell over a week, and then you decided, okay, I now don't mind the smell. Maybe I'll be able to taste it and add it to a recipe. If we could have, like, a page full of all different things like that. So people can get used to these smells and then feel like they can bake with that ingredient and then find a recipe that they can use it in, in within the book. Like it would open up so many people's lives because then they'd go, be able to go to a restaurant and order a cinnamon roll and be like, oh yeah, I'm actually fine with that smell and the taste of that now I'm, I'm completely used to it. Oh, that's like, an amazing idea. <laughs> that it's brilliant. Like I've thought it all out. And I want all my chapters to be based around like taste, smell, texture, but, like, you take it to the publishing companies and they're just like, this isn't a cookbook that we do. It's just not normal to us. And I'm just like, well, it's normal to me. And I know if it's normal to me, it's normal to hundreds of other people.
1: I think it's a great idea. And I really hope that you find somebody who is going to bring this project to fruition because it sounds amazing.
2: So hopefully. Hopefully.
1: I think I'm just going
0: to ask you the, the the last thing on my mind is how often do you bake and what do you plan to bake next?
2: So currently I can bake only on the weekends because I'm still working shifts at the car plant. Um, and then my days are like taking up doing fantastic podcasts like this and all other projects. So I'm saving my bacon and I've just bought a house and I'm ripping out as well. So I've got that on top of everything else. So my bacon normally happens at the weekend. Today I've made lemon buckwheat and almond bun cake and some crinkle cookies oh my god yeah um, and then tomorrow um i've got a bricky coming tomorrow who's polish So i'm gonna have a look tonight and see if there's any like special polish desserts i can make him make him try them <laughs> um, so that's that's what i do on my weekends now. i want the lemon bunt cake <laughs>
0: lizzie oh my gosh thank you so much for joining us today it was such a pleasure to talk to you. I love that you're doing things you love and that you just are who you are. This is
1: so much fun. Thank you so much.
2: Aw, oh, tall. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been great.
1: For more of Lizzie's fabulousness, check out season nine of The Great British Baking Show on Netflix. And you can find a full transcript of this conversation at you.org slash in it. You've been listening to In It, of the Understood Podcast Network. You can listen and subscribe to In It wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard today, please tell somebody about it. Share it with the parents you know.
0: Share it with somebody else who might have a child who learns differently and
1: loves to bake. Or send a link to all the great British baking show fans you know. In It is for you, so we want to make sure you're getting what you need. Go to youorg In It to find resources from every episode. That's the letter U as in understood. .org/init. And please share your thoughts.
0: Email us at init at understood.org or leave us a message at 646-616-1213 extension 703. That number again is 646-616-1213 extension 703. And we might just share it on a
1: future episode. As a nonprofit and social impact organization, Understood relies on the help of listeners like you to create podcasts like this one to reach and support more people in more places. We have an ambitious mission to shape the world for difference, and we welcome you to join us in achieving our goals. Learn more at understood.org slash mission.
0: In It is produced by Julie Subrin. Justin D. Wright mixes the show. Mike Errico wrote our theme music. Laura Key is our Editorial Director at Understood, Scott Kushir is our Creative Director, and Seth Melnick and Brianna Berry are Production Directors.
1: Special thanks this week to Stephanie Powers in Liverpool. And thanks
0: to you for listening and for always being in it with us.